Welcome to the Real Freedom Podcast, where we inspire you to pursue your passion to gain time and financial freedom through opportunities in real estate. I'm your host, Mike Swenson. Let's get some real freedom together. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Real Freedom Podcast. And I'm so excited today to have Chris Miles. Um, You know, we talk a lot about um, building wealth, gaining financial freedom. And Chris really is an expert on what it takes to gain financial freedom. So quick, quick background about Chris. Um, Chris is actually um, cash flow expert, financial advisor, uh, leading authority on teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. Author, podcast host of the Chris Miles Money Show. You've been featured on US News, CNN Money, and you have a great reputation for getting your clients life-altering financial results. In fact, your personal clients have increased their cash flow by over $200 million in the last 10 years. And you've actually retired twice by the age of 39. And so um, that is a topic that people will love to hear about is how do you do that? I'm still scrambling. I'm still trying to work hard to retire once and to be able to do it twice by 39. um, You just have a a wealth of information. So welcome to the show, Chris. We're so excited to have you. Why don't you just lead off and and share a little bit more about you and kind of your story and, and how you got to where you're at? Yeah, pleasure to be here, Mike. Um, yeah, I mean, get, get my story kind of starts out differently than you would expect, right? I mean, I, I went to college. I was supposed to be the first person in my family to go to college, right? Yep. Um, and I did. And with one class to go before I got my bachelor's, I took a sabbatical to become a, a business owner, right? To be an entrepreneur. Because I was intending to go into business consulting. That was my whole goal, right? I was going to become a business consultant, but I figure I have to have real life business experience before just trying to go get an MBA and just have this degree with no experience behind it. Well, flash forward, the first opportunity that comes along for me to become an entrepreneur is being a financial advisor, right? And I'm going to talk about the mainstream, traditional, aka salesman in a suit, crappy kind of financial advisor, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was going to be how I the, started out of college too. <laughs> is it really? So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I was first pursuing before a different opportunity came up. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, and I never realized it was so easy to get in, right? I didn't realize that you just had to pass a test and have a heartbeat, and you can become a financial advisor, right? And it wasn't like you had to have any real life, you know, financial experience or anything like that. Um, unlike, you know, being a realtor, you guys have way more hours you'd have to and, and time in, in the classroom and study and things like that. Even to become a realtor, it's not that bad for a financial advisor. You can literally get, you know, you can get licensed within a week or two. I mean, it's that easy, you know? And uh, so anyways, I mean, but I love being an entrepreneur. I loved having control of my destiny, my time, my freedom and everything else and money. And, uh, but the problem is, is that as I was doing that for about three, then going on four years, this is the end of 2005, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the end of that point, and uh, and I and one of my friends who was a real estate investor brought up some really good points to me. He said, you know, I, I called him up at the after Christmas time of 2005 to wish him Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, mm-hmm. and I was kind of wondering how he's doing because he left being a financial advisor to go do real estate investing. So I figured, of course, like everybody who goes and tries to do their own thing, they're probably going to be broke. So maybe I can get them to come work for my agency again, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was I got the exact opposite response. When I asked him how he's doing, he's like, man, things are awesome. He's like, my dad and I, we've partnered together on these real estate deals and we've doubled his income as a professor at the local university. And I said, come on, four months, that's mm-hmm. too good to be true. you know." And he's like, no, man, it works. And so we got in this debate about what's better, stocks or real estate. And finally, he stopped me. He said, Chris, 
how many of your clients are actually financially free where they don't worry about money? And I said, well, none. Because even the retired ones, like the physicians and people like that, still wonder if they're going to run out of money. Right. And they're not even in the stock market. Some of them have guaranteed income. But again, will it be enough? Right. And so he said, well, good job, Chris. Way to help nobody. All right. How about this? <laughs> how many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions, not off the trails and renewals and all that stuff, but actually doing the mutual fund investments? How many of you guys are financially free? And I thought about even the guys have been in the office working since the late 70s. And I said, well, none, none of them are. He said, there is your problem. I said, well, give me the answer then. He's like, I'm not gonna give you the answer. You just got done arguing with me about stocks being better. I'm like, listen, you got me, I'm open. Let's do this. Let's, you know, give me something. He said, all right, well, if you're really serious and I don't think you are, um, best takeaway sale ever, I guess, you know, and he wasn't even selling anything. He just was pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he said, oh, if you're really serious, Google this book by Robert Kiyosaki called Who Took My Money, which t- basically says mutual funds suck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then go listen to these, these local, this local AM talk radio show with these real estate investors. And so I did. And flash forward, you know, 2006, by March of 06, I quit being a financial advisor, couldn't do it because I realized it didn't work. I was already seeing it, right? But again, your pocketbook's tied to it. You don't want to admit you're wrong. But at some point you have to say, well, am I going to stay in integrity or, and, and, or am I going to quit and quit teaching this crap, right? Um, so I stopped that. I became a mortgage uh, broker. And, uh, and, and eventually uh, later on, as I started to get to know these guys in the real estate game, um, I only needed to make, make 3500 a month to get out of the rat race. Um, but later that summer, I was out of the rat race, you know, um, doing things, whether it's like, you know, things with like joint ventures, I was doing some things with, with, you know, real estate, of course, and things like that between the two of them, I was making like four or 5,000 a month. And I thought, mm-hmm. holy cow, I'm 28 years old. This is easy. You know, and, and what am I going to do? I'm 28, almost 29. All my friends are working now. What am I gonna do with my life? Right. Mm-hmm. So 2007 actually came out of retirement, to teach people how to do it. Um, and, and like you mentioned, I retired twice. That's not a good thing, uh, because, I started, uh, you know, gambling more. I started doing what you see a lot of people doing in real estate game right now, which is doing a lot of flipping or they're just very mm-hmm. transactional, like they're just wholesaling or whatever it might be. Yeah. And the problem is they don't have passive income. I started going away from the passive income, going for the transactional income and then got hosed in 2007 to 2009, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, went from millionaire to upside down millionaire. I uh, didn't file for bankruptcy, but I would have been better off if I did. I would have had a million dollars more if I did. Um, but I was able to dig out of that hole eventually with no money, no credit to the point where 2016, I was able to get out of the rat race the second time, uh, this time a lot wiser and smarter than I was back then. So, so talk to, to, to people then, you know, what are some of those basic principles that are really important for folks, you know, like, cause, cause in real estate, right? Like, yeah, so many times people are chasing the transaction and that's actually why I started Mm -hmm. this podcast was I got into real estate seven ish years ago. And I just assume yeah. that people are making money hand over fist. And what I saw is so many people struggling, right? Um, because yeah. it's it's a commission sales job. You know, they mm-hmm. they've they've done a closing. Maybe there's 30, 60, 90 days before their next closing, and they're trying to figure out how to get by. And I said, how can people get where they've got the wind behind them instead of feeling like they're running into the wind? Because in real estate, you're really only as good as your last 90 days. And how many closings did I have? And then, you know, the slate, you know, if, if, if we look here to 2022, the slate starts clean. Now, what transactions do I have to put on the board to make my income? And so it's about building wealth, gaining financial freedom, 
and yeah, not having it just be a sales job where it's just a commission, commission, commission. And now I've done the same thing for 20 years and I've got nothing to show for it. So, so how do you help people kind of walk through that to where we can start building momentum instead of feeling like I'm just running into the wind all the time? You know, you bring up some good points and actually they kind of brought up some bonus points in my head too. They go beyond that, but you know, I'll tell you like, there's, there's a great book out there. Um, that's called the, the richest man in Babylon. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you were to put it in layman's terms, because it, you know, sometimes they use some language a little bit confusing in there. I mean, the one of the hard things is that as you're getting started in that business, and this doesn't matter if you're a real estate agent, it doesn't matter if you're uh, an investor, even this doesn't matter if you're even in business, you know, you're a business owner or whatever, like if you're doing any kind of job where you could have, you know, flexible, you know, or, or, you know, varying types of income coming in from month to month. It could be great one month, bad the next. And I've been there, right. Especially being an entrepreneur for the last 20 years, I've been in those, those positions. The best thing I would say is first foremost, get a good foundation. One of the hardest things to do as an entrepreneur is not reinvest every dollar, right. Mm-hmm. Or as they say, quote unquote, reinvest, which really means you spend every dollar, right. Right. Um, it's good to invest in your business. Your business should be the number one investment that you put money into. And especially as you're getting started, that should be the case, but you got to be very careful not to put every dollar in. There always should be money coming out and you should start building up some cash reserves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it can just start small. You might just say, Hey, you know what? I've got enough for a car payment. Hey, now I've got enough for a house payment. Now I've got enough for one month reserve, right? I mean, you want to get as an entrepreneur way, way beyond even the six months reserves, even six, 12 months of reserves in place. But even well, if you I start think COVID, with a car, COVID has shown us mm-hmm. too that, you know, what, what we learned, you know, what I learned as an entrepreneurship major in college about cash reserves, you know, like yeah. this, this is a, a, an instance where, yeah, like you said, you know, three to six months reserves, fantastic. But yeah, mm-hmm. a, a, an incident like COVID where, gosh, that could take six, 12, 18 months. It, it definitely challenged what we know about stocking up cash reserves for a rainy day. Yeah. It's amazing what becoming a non-essential business all of a sudden did everybody, you know, like mm-hmm. it should have been the wake up call. Like that should be the, the, the little, you know, earthquake warning you might get or tornado warning you might get that says, Hey, get under your desk or whatever, or go hide. You know, this, that should have been the call for us to all wake up and mm-hmm. get this crap in order now, especially when things are so good, when things are so abundant. And so, yeah, getting that cash reserves. And, and here's the key psychological thing with that too. When you have cash savings, even if you just say it's a, you know, let's just say it's just you know, a car payment or a house payment that you've got, maybe you got a few thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Use that and say, you know what? I don't need this one client. I don't need that one person to do this deal, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need that one transaction. Like I don't have to be desperate and do something I don't want to do or have to do because of the money. Like I've got cash. Mm-hmm. And if you come from that mindset, you come from a place of, I don't need you, but Hey, if this is right, I can serve you. I can do a great job for you. And it's, and it'll be awesome. Watch what will happen to your business. I guarantee it'll start exploding because when you come from a place of desperation where you're flinging out business cards, like Chinese stars, slicing people up, you know, and things like that, that kind of desperation just drives people away. And you work three to five times harder for the money than you would if you just relax. And again, relax doesn't mean you're apathetic. Doesn't mean you're not doing anything, but it means that when you're in that opportunity to present yourself, you'll show up more powerfully because you don't need the money. Cause you can say, you can legitimately honestly say to yourself, I don't need this one person because I've got that reserves there. Mm-hmm. And eventually you do build it up, right? But that's where you start. You start there because that having those reserves will build your business, boosting your income, which will allow you to put away more money to invest, right? Mm-hmm. So that first step has to be in place. You got to make sure your cash flow is under control. Make sure you're tracking your money. That's another key thing that so many people miss out on. 
Anytime I've seen an entrepreneur tell me they're too busy to track their money, guaranteed every single time, right? Out of those 11 years, like you said, like $250 million of cash we freed up, every single time an entrepreneur said they're too busy, they find at least 500 a month just by tracking their money. They don't even have to do anything cheaper. Just by tracking your money and becoming more intentional, you find more money that you end up just being wiser in how you spend it. And so your lifestyle is still the same. You don't feel any different, but you find you have an extra 6,000 or more a year in your back in your pocket. I had one person, they found 1,800 a month. You know, like they're just like, oh my gosh, like this, this was huge for me because this is more than a client for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things, you know, that's the kind of thing you need to look for. Then as you start to build up savings, um, one thing I I like to do, like some people are like, well, I hate the fact that it's burning a hole in my pocket. Like, oh, the bank's paying me point nothing percent what I do with it. Well, one of the strategies I use, I employ myself and I even teach people how to do is I create what's called a max ROI, like infinite banking type of savings account, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where I use whole life insurance specifically, um, but you got to get the right type and design just the right way. So you're not paying a whole crap load in costs because most insurance products are just a waste of money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but if you do it right, um, I actually keep two thirds of my cash reserves inside that plan because I'm making four or 5% tax-free and it's creditor proof and lawsuit proof. So even if somebody sues me and wins, they can't get to that money. I can have millions in there and they can't touch it. Mm-hmm. So one of the key, it's not only just a protection strategy, but it's also at least I'm making more than point nothing percent in my bank account, right? I'm at right. least earning some money on that money if it's going to sit there. Then what we do is take that profit. Then we start investing. And it could be using that life insurance. You can actually double dip. You can actually make your money to pay you twice if you use your life insurance instead of your savings account. But again, if you start building up cash in your savings account, then we go and invest it. And you should be, especially if you're in the real estate game, you should be buying real estate. If you're a wholesaler, great. Cherry pick the best deals, keep them for yourself and start building that portfolio. Um, I, I saw this happen two, three years ago. I'm in you know, some big mastermind groups with a lot of wholesalers and flippers. And I tell you, majority of them had no passive income. And that is a huge mistake. That is a mistake I made in the last recession, right? Because I had passive income, but then when I went and I came out of retirement, I partnered with these other guys that were also financially independent like I was. Um, they said, you know what, Chris, we want you to be 100% on board, like fully focused on this mission. We're going to help people. We're going to save lives, right? All this kind of stuff. So get rid of all these other income streams. Stupidest thing ever that I had listened to them. I'm like, wait a minute, we're telling them to become financially independent. Why would I do that? That would be like, a, that's against integrity right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And of course, when you know, we were focusing on real estate investors, funny enough, but they were more flippers that we were focusing mm-hmm. on, right? They weren't making money during the recession. As a result, we were getting paid. Plus, you know, my real estate wasn't doing great because I, I took my focus away from cash flow, started trying to focus on appreciation. Mm-hmm. Another big no-no, do not bank on appreciation, bank on cash flow. Like I, I my, my mantra is boring is sexy, right? right? The more boring the deal, the more, um, well, almost like I know it like the back of my hand, right? Like I've done it many times. Those are the cool deals. I don't care about going for the bright, shiny objects, the things I haven't any experience doing. I go for the things that I actually have done over and over and over that I feel comfortable doing. And you just do it. You know, just like it's like uh, if you ever watch the movie Remember the Titans, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he only had six plays, and they're saying, Well, should we throw in some trick plays? He's like, It's just like Novocaine, you just got to give it time, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same thing with investing. It's like you got to go with your your just your stable, steady plays that you know, like the back of your hand. And you do that, and especially if it's cash flow focused, you'll make so much more money and keep it 
than you would if you just try to gamble, trying these new little things and chasing whatever and going after crypto because, hey, you're a real estate investor, but I'm a crypto expert too. It's like, no, you're not. You're not. Like, yeah. Stay in your lane, do your thing, and you'll be way better off. Well, and especially being in real estate, you know, as, as an agent working with investors, um, you know, we, we hunt deals all day long. We're finding the mm -hmm. best deals. And so yeah. I think that's for people who are plugged in a wholesaler or flipper. Um, you can also benefit because you're, you're finding these great deals. And what I love is, you know, when you, when you find that deal, just ask yourself, is, is this something I should invest in first? And if not, maybe yeah. I expose it to my buyer's list because you get, you do get a chance to cherry pick those top deals. And so, yeah, for those folks That's that right. are in real estate, you've, you've been given a good opportunity. I often tell people, you know, when you're, when you're in the stock market and you're investing, inside knowledge is insider trading and you can go to jail, you know, in real estate, you've got all the inside knowledge and you can use mm -hmm. it, utilize it for your own benefit to help grow your own wealth. Because if I find a great deal, I can go buy it myself and I get to be the one to reap that reward. So, so we do sit in That's a good so opportunity here in real estate um, because we are analyzing the market every day. We are analyzing those investments for folks. That's so true. Uh, I'll tell you, and, and I get a lot of times people that are they're investors or they're agents out like in the Western half of the US, like I'm in, right? Mm -hmm. And the deals I hear suck. I mean, even if you find a, a decent deal, it's really hard to cash flow it well. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to go invest outside of your state or your area. You know, like don't be afraid to like go invest. Like, like I look out in the Midwest or Southeast because there's way better cash flowing deals out there with way better price with great rent rents in ratios and stuff like that than I would ever get out here in like Utah or anywhere on the West on the Pacific side. Right. Like when I ever hear people in Oregon, Washington, California, they say they have a rental. My automatic response is sell it. They're like, you haven't seen the numbers. I don't have to, I already know you probably have equity in it and your cash flow sucks. Like, mm -hmm. you know, look at, out East, like there's way better deals out there. And if you don't have those connections, then find those connections. If you don't have somebody that's already inside there, you know, there's turnkey companies, there's good quality turnkey companies. You can go and find the deal. You don't have to property manage it yourself and, mm -hmm. and still reap all the benefits of ownership and cash flow from that. Yeah. Yeah. We actually just closed. I came from a closing this morning and mm -hmm. the, it's a duplex. It's got seven bedrooms and the rents coming in are 2895 a month. And yeah. the purchase price was 235. And so oh, I know wow. a lot of people like to follow that 1% rule, right? Mm -hmm. And and so this happened to be their first investment that they've ever done. It was their their first dip in investing. And she was talking about how she was so nervous um, you know, this morning because it was her first investment ready to sign on the dotted line. And I said, look, you've got great cash flow. Um, both tenants actually recently signed one-year leases. Um, and so mm -hmm. in terms of risk, there's, yeah, there's always risks with investments, but at the same time, you've kind of hedged your bet quite a bit. And, you know, I'm excited. There's, there's deals that are better than others. And this was certainly one of the top deals that I've seen, um, mm -hmm. in, in a while because she, she kind of walked into a great cash flow, great property. Um, and so, yeah, this is going to be one that's going to pay her very well moving forward. So, yeah, I agree that the cash yeah. flow is key because, um, once you start dipping on cash flow and you're, you're burning yeah. a hole in your pocket out the back door, you're, you, you got to find a way to, to get that cash flow. So, so focusing on that is, is crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that too, because that's, that's an amazing deal. I mean, even when I go for mine, I usually go for the 1% cash on cash return, right? Like mm -hmm. if I'm going to use leverage, use banks, if I can at least make 12% a year. I'm happy. You know, like, mm -hmm. I think that's great. If you can make you in the teens, the twenties, even better. Right? right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's so great when you find those deals and, and uh, yeah, don't be afraid to do that, even if it's not in your backyard, because sometimes the backyard doesn't always have the greatest deals. Sometimes the grass really is greener on the other side. 
And we find too, you know, we work with a lot of people on the coast, particularly the West coast, and they do like oh, the yeah. Midwest, right? It's, it's stable. It's consistent. Mm-hmm. It's maybe not as sexy as what you'd find out in California or Seattle right. or things like that. But at the same time, um, you know, there's, there's good opportunity, there's good cash flow, and there's good appreciation that can happen. And so it's kind of that nice, stable Midwest <laughs> piece that we, we love. That's, that's why we live here in the Midwest, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like, I have a Memphis property about three and a half years ago, right? You know, and I mean, that thing, I mean, with the cash on cash returns, plus, you know, the fact that the renter has been paying down my mortgage for me, um, not including any tax benefits. And then of course the appreciation has been nice the last few years. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had about a 300% return on my money. You know, mm-hmm. that is huge. I mean, that's yeah. just incredible. When you really think about that, there's no financial advisor that'll ever promise that. And, and that's the thing that really blew my mind. Right. Cause I thought, you know, financial advisors had all figured out. I thought we were the geniuses, but the truth is financial advisors don't know squat. Because if you're, here's the one thing, the S&P 500's only average in the last 30 years, a real rate of return of about 8.4% from 30 years. And this includes the last 13 years in a row up. I mean, mm-hmm. think about that. 13 years in a row of an uptrend. We have never had that in stock market history that I've ever seen, even going back in the 1800s. We've never had that before. And still, it's only 8.4%. And even then, even if you get 8.4%, let's say you happen to save up to a million bucks, then you're only supposed to pull up maybe 3%. Of your money. That's 30,000 a year of cash flow. That sucks. And then you pay taxes on 30,000 a year mm-hmm. versus if I have a million bucks, like you said, anybody use that 1% rule, that million dollars makes me $10,000 a month passively that I don't pay taxes on because I get all the depreciation, the write-offs from the real estate. I mean, when I got that vision in 2006, that's what blew my mind. I was like, why, why would I dare want to be a financial advisor when I already know it doesn't work? People aren't retiring, including financial advisors. But here on the real estate side, people are. So why not go that route? You know, and that's what's worked. You know, we've been proving it millions and millions of times over. But look in the financial advising end, people are not retiring on the financial advising side. But yet that is considered mainstream conventional. And that's not the way to go. That's the way to become broke the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think unfortunately, so many times people just uh think that that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Because my mm-hmm. my parents or a friend or family member, like, oh, they put their money with that person. So let's just use that person. And you you kind of have to stop and, and ask some more questions and dig yeah. a little bit deeper and see like, okay, let's play this path forward. If I, if I do this path, like you said, um, you're just basically trying to build as big a pot of money that you can just slowly take from. And people always have to ask like, what if I outlive my funds? Where if mm-hmm. you go back and you focus on building that cash flow, now it doesn't matter how long that you live because you've got that cash flow um, month in and month out, and you don't have to worry about outliving your money or mm-hmm. living as conservatively as possible because I don't want to take too much of my money. So, yeah, exactly. I've actually yeah. seen people like get burned by the whole fire movement that's going on, the financially independent retire early movement, because mm-hmm. they'll say live on four percent. And they're, and they're all about saving in the stock market and stuff. And I even find real estate investors, it boggles my mind when they say, well, I want to diversify into stocks. I'm like, why? There's nothing that stocks give you that you don't already have at the real estate. And, and if anything, it just gives you more risk and mediocre returns, right? Mm-hmm. Why would you go that route to diversify? That's stupid. And in fact, even Mark Cuban, a quote from him, you know, from if you've seen Shark Tank, is diversification is for idiots, right? You know, like it's dumb, like, or as Warren Buffett say, diversification is admission of ignorance, you know, like mm-hmm. is that you have no clue what's going on. That's why you diversify because you're just throwing everything everywhere. And you don't want to be that kind of, that's a gambler, not an investor. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to get caught up in that kind of junk. You know, you really want to get focused on 
what is real. And I'm telling you, like the stock market is not the place to be. It's not the place you're going to get that kind of thing. And that whole 4% rule, I just saw Wall Street Journal you know, article come out recently saying those numbers don't work in today's markets. That's so, and even 20 years ago when I was a financial advisor, we were questioning the 4% rule. They're saying now, no, no more than 3%. I say even two or 3% is the max you should look at. Mm-hmm. And you start to run those numbers. It looks dismal. There are people that think they're going to be financially independent that are going to be shocked and appalled once yeah. the market turns. And they're going to say, oh, I thought it was going to be this year. And now it's going to be 20, 30, 40 years from now instead. You, yeah. you do not get caught in that trap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, I, I really do appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for the wisdom that we shared. I feel like we could continue to talk more and, and do another episode at some point too, because there's there's so much that we can cover. So yeah. Um, yeah. So for folks that um, you know love what you're saying and want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, you can go, go to our website, moneyripples.com. You can go check out some of our information and stuff there. Um, you can also go follow my own podcast, The Chris Miles Money Show. You can find it on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. Uh, check out Chris's stuff, a wealth of, of information. And you've got the people to back it up, the people that are making money, living uh, financially free lives as a result of what you're teaching, not just go put money in stocks and see what happens. So uh, really appreciate it, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you soon.